Hello everyone. Good to have you back. I can't see you, but I know you're out there. And I look forward to the next little while sharing with you from, again, chapter 6 of Hebrews. Right in the middle part of the chapter, verses 9 through 12. Again, we miss you guys and hope to see you again soon. Hope you're doing well. I want to get around to see all of y'all here soon. It's been a crazy couple of weeks with wedding planning and all that kind of stuff. We had a shower last night for uh, Eric and and Andy here at the church, and that went well. But um, lots going on. But the most important thing going on is the kingdom of God and his word and the preaching of the word. So let's get to it. We are at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. So... Let me open in prayer. I'll dedicate this time that we have now to um, to the Lord, to His glory. We'll read um, and uh, get right to it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the grace of the Scriptures, for the benefit that they are to us as your redeemed, that the church literally feeds off your word. Uh, we grow with it. We grow on it. Lord, we take it to heart uh, to change our hearts. We take it to our minds to renew our minds. So, Father, help us to continue that good work of obedience today as we discuss, or at least as we listen and um, take in these beautiful words from the middle part of Hebrews chapter 6. We thank you for it. Bless us with it. Change us with it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Hebrews 6, 9 through 12. Here again, the word of God. Our writer continues, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire that each each one of you show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen. May God bless this reading of his word to our hearts, minds, and lives. Well, this is a much better tone this week uh, with this... This particular passage, uh, Hebrews 6, began with a fairly sobering, actually a very sobering, warning from our author from the scriptures about apostasy and self-deception and folks who are in the church but are not of it, not really. They enjoy the, the, the covenants and blessings of the faith of the church, they witness and are there for many blessings to God's people in the church, but ultimately they're not of the church, and it will ultimately be exposed. These folks will uh, leave and, and not come back. And so, anyway, we we have our author's change of gears here. Uh, he's 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 writing obviously to the church and. He is has a, a warning tone, but now he turns to a more comforting and a assuring tone. And he turns now to 
what he knows about his his readers uh, in the in the churches that have been formed up um, since the ascension of Christ, the work of the apostles, and he ministers to them now, and it is a ministry to us as well. We are uh, our author's hearers and readers even now. I want to go to just to set the tone for our time in this part of the word to the Westminster Confession of Faith. I believe that our our theme today is the assurance of salvation. We all struggle with that at times. Sometimes we have very little assurance of our own salvation if we're if we're not uh, doing well in our growth, if we are stuck on sin and not confessing it, repenting of it. Um, the the evidence of that is is a coldness, a lack of caring about the Lord, about his people. And so what our author does now, he switches gears and reminds his readers of the things that he knows about them that comport to a more faithful Christianity. And again, it goes to, I believe, what his theme is here in these um, five verses, or four verses, uh, our assurance of our salvation, and that we can have it, and that we can enjoy it. Chapter 18 of the Westminster Confession, if you have your old if you have an old um, um, uh, Trinity hymnal, um, you can turn to it, a Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 18. We're going to read the first paragraph. If you don't have one, uh, let me know, and when I come to see you, I'll bring you one. It's also in our new Trinity Psalter hymnal, uh, along with some other good stuff as well. But chapter 18, uh, paragraph 1 of the Westminster Confession, is uh, the chapter is in reference to the assurance of grace and salvation. Um, it reads like this, Although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and a state of salvation which hope of theirs shall perish, Yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him sincerely, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which which hope shall never make them ashamed. This passage is really just like this paragraph in the, in the confession. He's just talked about folks who are in the church that aren't real Christians, who aren't really redeemed, and that will that fruit will bear itself forth in time. True believers will not fall away. They will uh, endeavor to walk in all good conscience before Christ. And this is what our author says here. He, um, he goes through these things precisely. So we're going to look at <clears throat> these four verses under four headings. Uh, and under the the theme of assurance. So the first point, if you have your outlines in front of you, um, we're going to talk first of all in verse 9 of assurance and salvation. Uh, in verse 10, we'll talk about assurance and obedience. In verse 11, it's going to be assurance and hope. In verse 12, assurance and patience. So without these things that assurance is attached to here in these four verses, um, you cannot have an assurance of salvation, uh, even on your best days. Uh, it would be self-deceptive and delusional 
uh, without uh, the changed heart and the regenerate heart and mind. So, first of all, assurance and salvation, verse 9. Uh, our author writes, so we speak in this way, and he's referring to verses 1 through 8, where he, he talked about apostasy in the church in a very sobering way, that there would be no sacrifice left for those who have enjoyed the covenant relationship of the people of God in the church and yet reject and, and leave and go away. Uh, the, the key um, phrase in verses 1 through 8 was at the beginning of verse 6, and then have fallen away. If they enjoy all this goodness of the kingdom of God and then have fallen away, then no sacrifice for their sins is left. Very sobering uh, piece of scripture for uh, the person in the pew. And as people in the pew, we need to always be uh, looking at ourselves and judging ourselves and asking others to speak to us about ourselves. Uh, That's why we're here together in the church. That's why we need each other to to love each other and to speak to one another, uh, sometimes with difficult words when it's necessary. So he's just done that. Though we speak in this way, yet for in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Now, the author is telling his hearers here, um, Gentile and, and Jewish Christians, primarily in Palestine, we believe, um, but it could be this letter would be going out to others as well. That, but he has a particular group in mind because he knows about them, and he's about to uh, remind them of uh, the work that they have been known for and have come to be known for. In your case, we don't believe you're apostate. We're convinced. We're persuaded. We trust that there are better things uh, that speak of you, superior things things that belong to salvation. He's telling these these Christians that what we see in you are things that accompany, that hold on to, or possessed by, or linked to being saved and salvation. That the, the changed heart and the renewed mind have certain characteristics that just go along with them, things that belong to a changed heart and a, re, and a, a renewed mind. So we can't separate here. The point is we can't separate salvation from assurance of salvation, obviously. If you have a a true and abiding and real assurance of your salvation before God the Father, then uh, you're you're redeemed. And uh, that you have it is one thing, but how you know you have it um, is, is further evidenced here in the text. But if you turn with me to the the 10th chapter of Hebrews, you'll see a little bit of insight into what our author is referring to here uh, in his listeners. Uh, Hebrews 10 at verse 32. I'm going to read 32 through 34 and then verse 39. He writes, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, that same word is used in, in the first eight verses, um, you, were endu- you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that in prison, oh, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. 
and then verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. So notice the things there that our author lists as being indications and proof that they are they're true blue, redeemed, uh, heart and mind believers. They suffered public exposure uh, and reproach and affliction um, and partnered with those who were so mistreated. Uh, they compassion on those in prison, joyfully accepting the plundering of their property. All for Christ. And so here's the, the evidence of that. And though we speak about apostates in the church, in your case, beloved, we feel sure, we're persuaded, we're convinced of better things. Things that are linked to salvation. So salvation it is, and these are obediences and other things that indicate that these are true believers. Would, a, would someone who's a member of a church uh, put their neck out on the line for others and take stands where they were only going to be injured and, and hurt uh, for their, their stance for Christ? Would they really do it? And the answer is really no, or at least not for long. It's not going to last. This is the proof in the pudding that uh, someone's going to endure to the end because, well, they, they or and we ultimately don't belong to this world, and it is not our home, and we understand that. That's ultimately where our writer is going in, in, in chapters 10 and 11, that this world is just a place that we're passing through to be obedient and faithful in, but it's not our home ultimately. So first of all, Assurance is linked to salvation, assurance and salvation. Secondly, verse 10, we see the, the link between assurance of salvation and our obedience. Our author continues, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Now, again, there are going to be things here that, and the main things really of the text <clears throat> that we're looking at, uh, the main things that our writer is, is noting in the obedience and, and faithfulness of his hearers and readers and making the point that God is not unjust. Obviously, he's not unjust. He's, he's a just and perfect and righteous God. But he's not unjust so as to overlook, and that's a word that means to, to neglect or forget or to not remember, um, God does not overlook works in the hearts and minds of his believers, of the redeemed, that bring honor to him. And that, that God would not overlook that, that he would regard our work that honors him uh, as pure grace. He doesn't have to. In fact, servants you know, never could... A slave could never do works of supererogation or over and above the call of duty. He was he was a slave. He was a servant, and every obedience was simply his duty. But God is gracious to us as His servants, as His children, to acknowledge work that that honors Him. Now, ultimately, remember that this is ultimately God's work in our lives. In Philippians two, verse twelve and thirteen, we're told Paul tells us that that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling at the same time, though recognizing, verse 13, that it is God who works through us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So ultimately, our work that pleases God, that he does not overlook, 
is his work through us. So God would not be unjust <clears throat> and is not unjust so as to overlook that. And that's, that's encouraging that our obediences are not overlooked. Uh, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, acknowledged by God the Father, uh, made possible because of the finished work of our Lord Jesus. It's all good. It's all to God's glory. So God's not unjust so as to overlook your work. Now, what are those works that the author is noticing here? Well, the first one here is their love uh, for the saints. <clears throat> now, love here is agape love. It's, it's that self-sacrificial giving type of love. It's a commitment. It's, it's selfless. It's one that thinks not of oneself but of the other. So that's the kind of love uh, that our author is saying that you have shown for his name. Now notice the, the initial primary concern of this agape love is for the name of God, for the name of Christ, for his glory, for his honor, uh, as obedience to him. And this love has been demonstrated, it's been shown, it's been proven, and obviously... Um, Verse 9, these are things that the author knows about his readers that belong to salvation. They have shown themselves and demonstrated themselves and proven themselves as lovers of God's name primarily. So whenever we love the Lord and we, we're loving others and doing works that honor God, we are showing a love primarily for God's name. God's name on us and in us, and we are not taking it um, for. Uh, we are not uh, taking it in vain, but we are acting and behaving and, and obeying, primarily out of a love for God in His name. But if we love God, <clears throat> I love His people. If we love God, we love His people. So, the love that you're demonstrating uh, toward the name of God. Uh, is fleshing itself out in serving the saints. And it's basically the idea of serving here is to attend or take care of. Um, it's the word that we get diaconate or deacon from. It's, it's a servant word, a serving word. And <clears throat> um, here it's, it's serving and taking care of the saints, the holy ones of God, those set apart, the church, other believers, but notice here that it's uh, our our author says serving the saints as you still do. So it's ongoing, it's constant, it's consistent, and um, the same word there appears. The diacon, the diaconia word for deacon, is repeated there. It's just not you don't see it in the translation. But there is this this. Um, primary focus of the church for the church. In Galatians 6.10, we are to serve and do good for all, but especially, Paul writes, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So our primary love as we seek to love God's name in the church is for one another. They will know us by our love, Jesus said. They will know you by your love for the, for the brethren. And that's still the overarching uh, primary characteristic of the church is its love for its people. 
So assurance comes in the wake of obedience and acts of faithfulness to God, showing a love for his name and serving the saints uh, sacrificially in a giving way and consistently and constantly. It's not just a one-off, a one-time thing, or once a year or twice a year. We're characteristically known for loving each other in the church. And with that, that faithfulness and obedience comes an assurance of salvation. With our salvation comes an assurance of salvation, verse 9. So, thirdly, assurance is attached to hope. Assurance and hope, verse 11. Our writer continues here, and, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Now, hope here is mentioned, the full assurance of hope, but notice, first of all, our, uh, our writers desire that each of you show the same earnestness. Um, as those who have gone before. Uh, it's an interesting word here, we desire. And we desire, the word for desire, is a word that means a strong, a very strong desire. You'll be interested to know that this word in another context, another context would be translated lust. Uh, lust is this same word, epithumia, uh, which means a strong controlling desire. Um, sometimes an overwhelming desire, and it can be applied as lust in certain contexts. But here, our author is is basically saying, we strongly desire, as your spiritual leaders and as men who love you, we strongly desire that each of you show, and this could be individuals or individual churches and groups of believers that he's writing to, we strongly desire that each each one of you show or prove or demonstrate the same earnestness, diligence, eagerness. Um, whenever you, you're so eager to do something, you do it quickly and completely, and you enjoy it. That's uh, an earnestness. The same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Um, the author wants us, he wants his original ears, he wants us, Scripture wants us to continue to be earnest and prove that love of God's name. And that, that love or that desire from Scripture, from the Holy Spirit, is a strong desire that we continue in that. To have the full assurance uh, of hope until the end. Now that's the theme of these four verses, I believe, is this full assurance. It's one word, full. Pleuriphoria, it means to be absolutely convinced of something, completely certain. You know, we live in a day and age where can, can you be completely certain or absolutely convinced of anything? And that's kind of the tone of culture and society is that, no, we can't be fully assured of anything in this life, in this world. Well, that's just not true. We live in a world and we have life given and created by a God who is good and perfect and loves his creation. So just creation itself indicates to us, as the psalmist has already written, that the God of creation is a good God and a merciful God. He's holy, he's righteous, and he cares about what he makes. 
So our hope here is is one again. Hope is el peace in the Greek. It it's more than just wishful thinking. It's it's substantial. It's a visceral hope that you have in something that you can almost see. Uh, you're not blind to it so much. Sometimes faith can be blind. But our hope is is visceral. It's it's based on something that we know is there, that we know is going to happen. And that's the beauty of hope as it relates to faith. And we, uh, our author, Scripture wants us to have this earnestness and diligence and eagerness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So hope drives us forward. Hope keeps us going. Uh, If you have hope, you will not despair. Um, If you have no hope, you will despair. And and, um, you'll give up on having any hope. But Christians don't do that. Not true Christians. Not ones who who know in their hearts that God has given them graciously a knowledge that um, the end is certain and it's a certain end and one in which the church triumphs and we are in God's presence eternally because of Christ. So assurance in salvation, assurance in obedience, and assurance of hope. Now think of the hope until the end. We've been talking about this word in the Greek, teleos, or telus, which is the one that appears here at the end. The word end is the word telus. Uh, the completion, the finish. Think of it as the finish line. We'll have the full assurance of hope until the finish line, until we're done. The Lord brings us home or he comes back for us. Uh, we work hard and are faithful to show the same earnestness, earnestness to have the full assurance of salvation, of hope until the end, until we're done. And our author will talk about this more as the the letter continues. But um, assurance of salvation, endurance, perseverance are are key themes of his admonition, sometimes sobering, uh, to the church and to his people. So if you want to have assurance of salvation, then salvation, true salvation, is going to assure that. Now, even then, it kind of comes and goes. We have to work on it. And obedience to Christ, obedience to the Lord, is is key in that. And they're indicated, these obediences are indicated in verse 10. Our hope is indicated in verse 11. That's a full assurance that is, that is um, powered by a redeemed hope in Christ. And of all that he has promised until the end. We will, perse- we will persevere and endure until the end. Faithfully, because of Christ. Graciously, because of the, the of our Father in heaven. Finally, uh, assurance of salvation and patience go together. Assurance and patience. So that you uh, may not be sluggish or lazy, and that you don't miss opportunities to serve and to be Christ to others. This is, uh, this is a problem with Christians. We, we tend to, to reach a plateau, and we, we get comfortable, and we, we lay down, and... We say, well, I'm, I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to I'm going to lay still for a while, and enjoy my successes, and just enjoy this nice breeze and whatever it is that can get us off track. Our author does not want us to become sluggish or lazy. 
um, but imitators, this is a word in the Greek that our, our English word mimic comes from. But we are mimickers. We mimic those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, there really is a difference here between being sluggish or lazy and being patient. It's, interest, it's an interesting um, juxtaposition, but it's also made with faith. Faith and patience are active terms. If you are a faithful Christian, one who believes in Christ savingly, you're going to be very active. You're going to be busy. If, you're, if you have godly patience, like in the uh, fruits of the Spirit, patience, redeemed patience is one of them, Galatians 5.22. Patience is a redeemed quality in which you are, are not sluggish or lazy and you don't miss opportunities. It it may seem initially as a as a word that refers to being relatively inactive. You're just sitting there in the twilight being patient and not getting upset or anything. But patience is an active term because through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. So it's active. And we're imitating others who've gone before us who have been faithful and patient in their circumstances, in their lives, have uh, planted their flag and made their foundation the Word of God, and have been faithful to the Lord. That is what patience is. You're not going to be thrown off course. You're not going to be distracted from the goal. You're not going to become impatient and start banging on the door and wanting what you want right now. You're going to uh, embrace the, the promises of God and know that he's a God of fulfilled promises and faithfulness, and you're going to remain faithful as you work and do, 9 through 10, 9 through 11 up there. So he's taking this break to admonish his people and to encourage them, to to tell them of this desire he has, that they have this full assurance of hope, and that they won't get sluggish in their faith, but will be imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises so that they will gain the promises. Notice that a promise is not just a promise. Part of what the promise is is what it's promising. And so you've got the promise of God, which we treasure, but we also look forward to with hope to the fulfillment of those promises. Now this is where our author is going next in the next half of the chapter, which is a, one of my favorites. It's a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness and his promises that he's made and how he made them. So Abraham's next. We're going to go back and see um, a part of Abraham's life where God God was faithful to him in making him a promise, but then fulfilling that promise to his descendants. And we see this played out again in chapter 11, that as the saints of old were patient with their God because they loved him, and embraced his promises, and believed in the promises, and knew that they were going to be fulfilled. That's what got them through every day. That's what got them through the hard times. And even, our author will even say in chapter 11 that these these saints of old did not live long enough, in most cases, to see the fulfillment of those promises. But they looked forward to them anyway. They believed in them anyway. And they considered themselves, as he's going to tell us, as strangers and exiles in this world, we're just passing through. We're looking forward and working toward and traveling toward something better. 
This is what our author is talking about. This is what patience is in the Christian faith. It's looking forward, not back, not getting stuck in the present, in the presence, but uh, pushing on, onward and upward. And that's that's patience, patient endurance, patient perseverance. Chapter 10 again, um, Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25. Another one of my favorite parts of uh, this great letter, our writer writes, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as this is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day of drawing near. That's a, a great paragraph that describes the activity of godly, redeemed patience, holding fast a confession of our hope without wavering realizing that, that Christ is, is faithful to his promise, that God is faithful to his promises, stirring one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together. Meeting together sometimes is kind of work and activity, isn't it? Uh, but it's it's the, the food and grace of heaven that we do it, stirring one another up and uh, meeting together and, and worshiping corporately. That's what it is for the church to be patient. So... At the table, um, and we miss you guys at the table and hope to have your fellowship there again, but um, this is how um, I will admonish our people and encourage them as I preach to them this Lord's Day. The table represents God's promises of our redemption. It represents the promise of our assurance of our redemption, of our hope, of our faith and perseverance to the end, till Christ comes back or till we die. We partake with the hope of our completion of our sanctification. We partake in faith. We partake in hope. We partake out of love for Christ and and our Heavenly Father. So keep this in mind. Um, uh, We are a happy people in the church. We are a, a redeemed people, a victorious and triumphant people. And this is how we have that assurance. And this is part of it, not all of it. But through our obedience, that is a, a gift of God. Uh, our hope that he also gives us. And patience, which is part of our redemption. So meditate on these things. Uh, feed on them. Feed on the words of God. And let it um, encourage you for today and for this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your word, its truth, its power. Lord, may we always uh, be empowered by your word and by your Holy Spirit for acts of righteousness, obedience, hope, and patience today and this week and always. Thank you for your love for us. Help us to love you better and be more faithful to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.